When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone. From business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A D W E E K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. It starts at the top, and you cannot avoid it. Our owner is all in, and he is invested in the best on the field product as well as a best front office product. He wants best in class all the way through. When you have an owner that's investing in the product, it's a bit of a dream come true. So on top of like, I'm so happy to be working at the Mets, I'm incredibly thrilled to be working for an owner that is committed to building best in class across the board on the field and off the field. And that's incredibly empowering for anyone that works as a marketer. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, what was the first ball game you've ever been to? Oh my gosh, 1984. I don't know if you were a figment of somebody's imagination at that point, but I was 10 years old. My mom took me and my three siblings to a Mets game. I did not meet anybody. We were like up in the nosebleeds. I saw Mookie Wilson play for the first time. I thought it was so cool that there was a guy named Mookie. And then I became a Mets fan. How about you? My dad grew up a Mets fan because he grew up near you, but I grew up in New Jersey. So I guess the car ride was shorter to Yankee Stadium. My first game was at Yankee Stadium, and and I think I was around a similar age. And I remember getting a big finger. I remember getting the ice cream in the hat. One second. You were in the Bronx. When you get a big finger, with what does that mean? Do you mean the foam finger or you got the finger? I got the big foam finger, (laughs) and then I got the ice cream in the hat. And I said to myself, I really love merchandise. I think that's when I started (laughs) to fall in love with, like, merch and, and swag. It's funny because in, in the Hopsetter household, we have a massive collection of helmet Sunday cups. Like you could just like go down to my kitchen right now and just pick your team because we've got helmet Sunday merch up the wazoo because A, we do like our soft serve ice cream and B, it, it always feels like you get a souvenir when 
you get the ice cream. So it's like a double win. Brings up a good point though, right? The whole idea of the baseball game experience. I mean, sports in general, but let's talk about baseball. It's, it's, uh, tis the season, if you will. When I go to a game and I, I would say I don't go to as many games as the rest of my family does because they go to like every game. But when we go to games, there is so much ancillary spend that I end up incurring consequent to our venture out. And major props to City Field for their phenomenally diverse kosher offerings. Not so props to the price point, but when you kind of walk out of a game when you're done with it, I mean, it's a phenomenal experience, but the more you love the team, the more you love the experience, inevitably, the more you'll spend. You double the ticket price, and that's what someone ends up spending on a game. Ooh, might be more. <laughs> and then there's the whole corporate box aspect, which is can be a huge moneymaker. There are so many ways to monetize the baseball experience, not to mention the merch that happens when you leave the field, the, the pride of wearing team swag, things like that. Mets swag is only second to Micmac swag. And then right after that is Brave Commerce swag and then Profitero swag. We're good at the swagging. We have good swag, but we don't have a lot of it. But the pride thing really comes into play. And the similarities of marketing a sports team to marketing more you know, physical goods, they're much more than I initially thought about. I thought about when you know, you're marketing a sports team, you're marketing experience, but there is a product there. Yeah, the, the product is the team and you want to put the best assets you have out on the field. At an affordable price. Yeah. It's pretty amazing to hear the ticket buying experience, how many different avenues there are for commerce, the relationship between direct to consumer and the resellers. You, you would think that there's probably not a lot of in common between CPG and the Mets, but as you'll hear in the show, there there is. So you're in for a treat. It's game day season. We hope you listen to this while you're playing some ball. We have a longtime friend of Brave Commerce. Well, really just a longtime friend of me and Rachel, but a first timer on Brave Commerce, Andy Markowitz or Andrew Markowitz. What do you go by? Are you Andy or Andrew? Are you my mother? It's Andy. Come on. <laughs> I call you Andy. I just don't know if I call you Andy because I've known you for so long. And then you're like, stop pinching my cheeks. I'm not Andy. I'm Andrew. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, only when I'm in trouble, my Andrew. Otherwise, I'm a lot of other things. But Andy is fine, Sarah. Fair enough. You might be in trouble by the end. I might be in trouble by the end of the podcast. I don't know. Well, let's hope. So thrilled to bring Andy Markowitz, VP of Acquisition and Retention Digital Marketing at the New York Mets. Let's go Mets. Gotta believe. <laughs> Gotta believe. Yes. We are in for a heck of a treat. I think you are the first podcast guest that works. No, you'll be the second podcast guest that works. Sorry, we had Grand Hill before you. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Reprioritize, please. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> I'm just saying, listen, Grant came during March Madness. This is going live opening week. It's just it's just the sequencing of the seasons. That's all. If, if there's a person to be behind Grant Hill, is a good person to be behind, for sure. Well, you can't see anything if you're looking behind Grant Hill. That's a whole other story. <laughs> <Right. laughs> anyway, about you, Andy. So you have had an incredible career spanning B2B, CPG financial services, everything in between. Rachel and I have both had the pleasure of working with you over the years. Tell us, other than like personal passion, why the jump to sports? And if the answer is personal passion, then sorry for the spoiler alert. It's too easy. The CMO of the Mets is Andy Goldberg. And Andy and I are former GE colleagues. Andy, I knew was at the Mets. We stay in touch. We're friends. Not the first time we've worked together. And 
he called me up and said, look, we have this mandate. And the mandate is to contemporize our marketing. And please come and help. And my response was, so wait, you want us to work together again? You want to pay me to do marketing and you want me to do it for the New York Mets? This was not a hard decision to make. It wasn't an easy thing to do because I was very happy at my other job. And I really thought I was going to land there for a long time to come. But this is literally, and pardon the metaphor, the call up to the big leagues. And you cannot quantify or qualify the opportunity for someone like me to go and work for an organization that you have been a lifelong fan of. And so it was an easy decision to make, although hard to say yes to, because I had to say no to some other people that I really liked. So this was, for me, a no-brainer, and I consider myself to be incredibly lucky and incredibly fortunate. Well, I think many, many people are envious of your current role. Given the fact that you've worked across so many different industries, what are some of the big lessons that stand out for you that you're bringing into your your new role? One of the things that I think is very important is that people lose sight of what's important because they're trying too hard to figure out things or they get lost in a scenario. If you're in an unhappy job, one week can turn into one month, one month can turn into one year, and one year can turn into three years. And you turn around and you go, oh my gosh, what happened to my career? And I think that there is a certain discipline that comes with understanding what decisions are important for you at that point in time. Is it making money? Is it a career advancement? What is it that matters to you? And I think those point in time decisions become lost because you become paralyzed because of the company that you work for, or you're scared to leave your job. And I think that those are really critical things. And people don't understand the context of those things. Because as an example, the world is not kind to 50-year-old marketers. You have an opportunity to make money in your 30s and 40s. But when you're 35 and you're climbing that ladder, no one ever tells you, hey, this might come to an end quicker than you think. So you have to make some point-in-time decisions. Am I selling it for money? Am I selling it for culture? I got to a point where with a job that I had before the Mets, I realized that culture was more important to me than anything else. That might be a hard decision for a 25-year-old. It might be a hard decision for a 30-year-old because they don't know what good culture or bad culture looks like yet, but they want to ascend, but they haven't really thought about what that means and what the trade-offs are. Making these point-in-time decisions, I think, became a really critical thing for me and kind of accepting that. And then the second thing I would say to that is take chances. I am living proof that you can recreate yourself multiple times. I started out in the ad agency business. I took a right turn and I was in the restaurant and bar business. And then I got back into the marketing side in digital and I was early on in digital. So I made point in time decisions. Some of them were, I thought, purposeful. Some of them were a bit riskier than others. Even though some of them were mistakes, I don't look back because I felt like I had a little bit of discipline to kind of make sure that I was being true to myself and who I was, even if some of them didn't turn out the way I wanted them to be. You um, said something a minute ago that really just stood out to me, which is it's tough to be a marketer in their 50s. Why do you feel that way? Well, I think there's a couple of things that are reality driven. The first one is people in their 50s are typically more expensive than people in their 20s and 30s. That's bottom line economics. So if you're not Moving value at 50, you're easily replaceable by a 30-year-old. And in the world of marketing, I'm lucky I can spell TikTok. I'm lucky I can spell Micmac. I may be able to spell them, but what can I do with them? Being native to those technologies and to the way those things work 
is something that a 30-year-old and a 35-year-old understands inherently more so than a 50-year-old. We can all look at the number of people who have hit 50 years old and have had to transition their careers. The ceiling came hard and came fast. That comes back to the point in time decision-making, which is what is your money-making window of opportunity? And there's much more that goes into that, building the right relationships, which is how I got this job and my last job. You have to really be thinking about all of those different things along the way because reality hits very quickly while you're looking the other way, thinking you're sitting on top of the world. I remember you and I had a conversation either in your late 40s at the time or turning 50. You're like, as I look out, instead of looking forwards, I'm I'm working my way backwards from retirement age and saying, how many chapters do I have left? (laughs) And it changed the way I thought about things. Certainly, you completely changed my perspective on it. Aside from the idea of of marketing having to be, you know, walking a mile in a consumer's shoes, understanding that the consumer is changing at a crazy pace and all of that, you think it's harder post-50 because of the money, because of the contemporariness of it, because of ageism? I just kind of want to put a finer point on it. I don't think it's ever one thing. Okay. I look back on my career. I don't regret what I did but there's probably one or two things that I did I probably could have done differently. Marketing is an up or out world. Did I stay at Kraft Foods too long? No, no, you didn't because I met you in your last year at Kraft Foods. (laughs) Did I stay at GE too long? I don't know, maybe. In an up or out world, what do you need to do to progress your career? So I don't think it's one thing, but I do think that things change, right? So let's be very honest and very clear. Over the last two years, and for absolutely the right reasons, there's been a huge push towards DEI. I need people that have experience. I need people that know digital marketing. Whatever the reasons are, it's never really one thing. Is it ageism? Maybe. Is it monetary? Yes. Is it relationship-driven? Have you not built the right relationships so that you can have people that bring you along for the ride? Maybe. I think there's no one right answer for it. I think you have to be able to see the whole picture, and that's okay. But you can't see everything, and you have to roll with some of those punches. That's just the way it goes. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. One thing that is fascinating, you know, we talk about all the different things that are changing, whether it's spelling TikTok or McMac or general changes. In the meantime, here you are, jobbing your dreams, VP of digital retention and acquisition marketing at the Mets. How does that even mean? So you want to talk about like words that may or may not make sense, but like, what does digital retention mean? What's the difference between digital retention and just retention? And when it comes to specifically a job like being responsible for the franchise of the Mets, without giving away any any secrets, can you share something that you've done recently to bring that to life? How do you think about it? Absolutely. And I'll be very specific because I always think it's very helpful to be specific. We actually have no natural competitors. 
we don't think of the Yankees as a competitor. You're either a Yankee fan or a Mets fan. So actually, MLB teams share a lot of best practices with each other because we have no natural competitors. What the job is really focused on is how do we understand our audience and how do we, A, provide the most value to them based on what their needs are and who they are? And also, how do we get them to come to more games? At the end of the day, really, that's what we're about. We want people to buy tickets. We want people to buy merchandise. We want them to come to the games and have a great experience. So digital retention and acquisition marketing is basically my role is to oversee our efforts to attract fans to get them to buy, establish relationships with them, and come back more frequently and enjoy the ballpark and all that it has to offer and the experience that they have there. And so we think about things like segmentation. We just did a massive segmentation study, and we basically find out who our audiences are. Families with kids, not a surprise. What about the business audience? Not a surprise, but not as developed as perhaps we would want it to be. There's the social audience. Who are they? What do they comprise? And we looked at the shape of revenue. When do they buy? Do they buy for weekends or weekdays? Do they buy 24 hours in advance or do they buy a month in advance? Are they planners? And what we're doing is nothing that you guys haven't heard a thousand times, which is we're going to deliver the right message to the right audience at the right time, because fundamentally that's what this is. And understanding the audience and who they are and the shape of the revenue and how they buy and what the insights are, no one had ever done that for the Mets before. That's number one. Number two, how do we think about propensity modeling, right? Nothing new from a marketing standpoint, but we're going to institute propensity modeling and start scoring and clustering those audiences. Who's more price sensitive? Who's more about the experience? Who reacts well to, hey, it's bobblehead night. Who wants bobbleheads? That's exactly the way we like it. Sarah wants bobbleheads. She's literally showing (laughs) us her bobbleheads right now. We think about propensity modeling and we also think about journey automation. There's two ways to look at the fan base right now in terms of what our goals are. How do we get new fans to come to their first game? And how do we get existing fans that have been to a game to come to one more game? So really kind of understanding those segments and those propensity models and then building journey automations. You came to a game. What might you get after that to say, hey, wasn't that a great game? Come to one more game. So just simple things like that to get us going. And our goal this year is to establish a set of baselines that understand what it means to engage those customers, what is a cost to acquire a new customer, re-engage and whatnot. And that's kind of what the role entails, including overseeing all of paid media, which is a different discussion. Very helpful overview. And it's fascinating to think through the segmentation when it comes to MLB. You know, we spend so much time on the show talking to mass consumer brands, and they've gone through such a transformation in terms of how the consumer shops their products. Tell us about the landscape right now of ticket buying. Yeah. What's table stakes? Where's innovation coming? How do bots and fraud come into play of what you're working on? Educate us on what's going on with commerce and ticket buying. One of the things that I didn't really understand is how the world changed. So you used to walk up to a ticket box, a ticket office, and buy a ticket with a, with a paper ticket and walk into a game. No. Now it's the ballpark app. Everyone that enters is scanned. And that's not just at City Field, it's at other places as well. So all of these buying experiences and entry experiences are now digitally enabled and digitally platformed. And so you start to get an understanding of kind of what customer behaviors are and how we engage them in a more appropriate way. So if you think about what channels work the best to acquire a customer, is it search Is it paid display, paid social? Is it organic social? What are those things? And we are 
getting very good at it because Rachel, your question is really good. What people don't understand because of all of these experiences, because everything is on a digitized platform, sports are a direct-to-consumer business, no different than any other e-commerce business. This is not CPG. It's not financial services. This is a direct-to-consumer business that is very, I would say, nascent in terms of its capabilities and therefore understanding of how to acquire customers. And I think that distinction is, is important because when I came in, I didn't really understand the full flavor of the data that was available. And now that I understand it, it's really incredibly powerful. While it absolutely is a D2C business, there's so many resellers in the market. How do you guys think about combating? Or maybe you're like, this is great, that universe. MLB has relationships with all of these secondary players. That is uh, something that is part of the process. There's going to be certain things that we can do where we want to sell consumers directly. And there are certain things that we can't do. Like we're never going to outbid Vivid Seats and SeatGeek on paid search because that's their model. We have to understand where our place in that pecking order is because it's not worth us to acquire those customers um, at, a, at a much higher level. So we're constantly thinking about what the secondary market looks like. We just ran a Super Bowl ad and there was a discount, you know, a deal for $57 tickets for Super Bowl 57. And, you know, our, our sec is the secondary market come in and buy those tickets in mass, you know, so we're, we're always thinking about those things and we're always kind of tracking those things. But the reality is, is that they are a considerable partner, if you will, because they buy our tickets. Yes, they go into a secondary market or people buy them and then go onto a secondary market with them. It's the reality of where we are these days. I'm still getting my arms around it, to be fair, but that's the way consumers buy these days. And that's just something we have to deal with. I think it's great. I think it's interesting. As you do your segmentation and you overlay that with the secondary market, how does a secondary market purchaser spend versus one who buys direct? But we can talk about that offline. It's one that we have to dig into. We've actually raised it. Crawl, walk, run. We'll get there but not yet. Yeah. As you know, I am a primary buyer and I buy a year in advance because my rep calls before the postseason starts. So the sales team, they're very good. But for everybody else who is not nearly as much of a planner and we're right before the season opens, I want to use this as an opportunity to plug my favorite team. So what's, what's the reason to believe? What's the reason to come to a Mets game this year to buy Mets merch? Like what's the big excitement? It starts at the top. And you cannot avoid it. Our owner is all in. And he is invested in the best on the field product as well as a best front office product. He wants best in class all the way through. No one's buying a ticket because of the front office. But nonetheless, I think the you got to believe piece is that our management is committed to putting the best product on the field at all times. And when you come from places like we have worked in and you look at CPG world and other places and they're like, sorry, we have to cut because our costs are, you know, here and because our distribution is here and marketing budgets get cut right away. And when you have an owner that's investing in the product, it's a bit of a dream come true. So on top of like, I'm so happy to be working at the Mets, I'm incredibly thrilled to be working for an owner that is committed to building best in class across the board on the field and off the field. And that's incredibly empowering for anyone that works as a marketer. I love how you just put that investing in the product. I've never thought of the team in that way, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I tell you, Rachel, so I was just down at spring training, the little things that we do really matter. 
you're creating content for the year. The players are like, this is great. You know, the players see it too. And it adds to their social profiles. It's a very steamrolling effect. And Steve is, he's way down the field, (laughs) much further down the field than the rest of us do. And he gets it. I will say watching the Super Bowl spot, they look like they're having fun. They legit look like they're having fun. And to me, that in and of itself just makes the the players more approachable. And so the, the product on the field is also the, the personas that they bring to the table. But Sarah, at GE, here's this big logo. How do you make GE more approachable for people? And that was a big focus for GE. And at Kraft Foods, how do you make mac and cheese, you know, not just the blue box and more relatable? That is something that I think really that effort kind of really gets to, which is how do you make the Mets more accessible to people? You've made many smart career moves. I have no idea how you're going to answer this question. What's the bravest thing that you've ever done? Okay. So I've gone skydiving. Does that matter? Maybe. I've made a few career choices. That's okay. That's fine. I do not consider myself to be particularly brave. I consider myself to be rather cliche suburban dad. Um, So I'm going to answer the question this way. My wife is battling breast cancer right now. She's brave. I'm not brave. Like I'm watching her go through that. And I'm like, I'm thinking about the answer to this question. I'm like, I haven't done anything relative to that. So what she's going through and what she's doing, you know, that's, that's brave. So I, I, well, I appreciate the comp, you know, the probably range of answers that you get to this question. Humbly, I would say that I haven't done anything comparatively speaking to what she's doing right now and how she's facing things. So I, I'll, I'll tip my hat to my wife. Thank you for sharing. We will absolutely be thinking of your wife. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Andy, you're a wealth of knowledge. I think we touched on subjects we didn't know we were going to go to today. And we appreciate your constant candor and friendship. Yeah. Thank you guys. I was honored. I'm not particularly nice, so I'm not being gratuitous. Honored for you guys to include me in this. I think it's great. I do think what you guys do is fantastic, both of you professionally. So, you know, kudos to you all. Thanks, dude. (laughs) More bobbleheads for everybody. (laughs) That ended on an extremely meaningful note. As I'm sure you've all realized, Andy is cut from a similar cloth to me and Rachel candid through and through, and uh, he did not disappoint. Well, if you like this episode, highly recommend a couple of others for you to listen to. It have some similarities. The obvious connection would be one that uh, just aired a few weeks ago with Grant Hill, the co-owner of the Hawks, former NBA Hall of Fame. Unless you think you accidentally ended up on a sports podcast, those are our only two sports episodes of the 100 plus that we've aired. Maybe more to come. We'll see. But if you also want to understand what it means to market a product that's more than something physical, listen to Pam Kaufman, who's now the CEO of International at Paramount, talking about all the collabs that she has done with SpongeBob, Paw Patrol, and so many other manufacturers, and really unleashing the power of a product, both physical and virtual. Thanks for listening. Send us your feedback, rate, review, share, subscribe. Thanks again. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? 
Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there